Well, the the one memory that like when people keep trying to like, what's the one thing you remember at Kobe? Like, what's your favorite memory? To me, like, first off, what Kobe represented like to me as a young basketball fan is, you know, growing up, the Michael Jordan era was past. So for me, Kobe was the next Jordan. And you can say LeBron is kind of taking over that mantle, especially because more of my invested basketball years have been during the era where LeBron is dominated, not necessarily where Kobe yeah. was. I was just kind of a casual junior high, high school. Knew about the NBA, kind of followed it. You'd only really hear about, you know, Kobe or whatnot. So, right. But again, he was that. You think, who's the best player in the NBA? It was Kobe. Wasn't really an argument. No. Um, up, you know, up until LeBron kind of took that mantle. Yeah. There was a good stretch probably from, like, you know, post-Shaq or maybe even with Shaq for that final year till, you know, LeBron's kind of peak, you know, in 2008, 2009 or so that you could definitely say Kobe was the best player in the NBA. Yeah, and that's about the time where you could say I really started watching more and more basketball and being more involved, mostly because I was just older, so, yeah. you know, a little more cognitively aware. Yeah. Um, But kind of around that time, Kobe was on the downswing, as were the Lakers, I think. It was probably 20... 13, 14, or actually it might have been 2011 or so. It was I think it was Gordon Hayward's rookie year. It's like 2010 probably. Yeah, that would have been 10. It was either his rookie year or his sophomore year. But the, the, the one memory that I, I would, that I've been thinking of was watching a young Gordon Hayward leading the Jazz. This is a terrible Jazz team. Not very good. Maybe they're they mediocre or something like that. I think they barely missed the playoffs that year. But, you know, in the wake of Darren Williams and Jerry Sloan, where's the next hope? And it was Gordon Hayward. And this is kind of the game where he really broke out and kind of established mm-hmm. himself as maybe this kid can be something. I mean, Hayward, <laughs> in that game, he had a farmer's tan on his arms because <laughs> he'd been on the beach or whatever. <laughs> you can see where in the sleeveless has got, you know, the, the tan up on yeah. like halfway up his bicep. I'm sure that's, like, for a completely different reason, but that's so Utah. Like, if you could yeah. describe a Utah player, a farmer's stand, like, it's completely fitting. <laughs> I think Justin Bean had a farmer's stand once <laughs> in a game. Doesn't surprise me. Yeah, so you have this young Gordon Hayward with a farmer's tan going up against the legendary Kobe Bryant, and late in the game, Gordon Hayward, I believe, scored... I haven't looked up, like... I've been meaning to look up the exact game, but I haven't looked up to, like, narrow down the play-by-play and... Make sure my memory is 100% correct, but I think it was Gordon Hayward led him. They were up by one or something like that. Mm-hmm. It was a situation where the Lakers had the ball. There was a, a you know, enough time to run half a play and get a shot. You know, the Lakers, they advanced the ball into the half court, you know, for the inbound pass. And you knew where the ball was going. You knew Kobe was going to take the shot. And you knew if he took that shot, it was probably going in. Like, that's just... That's just what you thought of Kobe. And that's really, you know, why I come back to this memory because that's what you thought of Kobe. Mm-hmm. It was clutch. It didn't matter how, because he hadn't actually been playing super well in that game. Mm. Um, he's still doing Kobe things, but you knew that getting that shot and contesting it super hard or just denying him the ball was the most important thing. And on that play, they get the ball to Kobe, and he goes up for a shot, but guarded by Gordon Hayward, he was forced into a turnover, and the ball slipped out of his Mm. hands. And one of the memories of Kobe I'll have burned into my skull is the image of him staring at his hands. (laughs) Like, the hands that led him to five titles, countless points, you know, all, all that success, 
they failed him in that one instance, mm. and it led to Utah's success. You know, unreliable, but that that's kind of the the memory that sticks out to me. Again, I was never a huge Kobe fan. Yeah, um, never liked him in in that sports way that you don't like a player or right. a person. Yeah, I, I mean, I was I was totally the same way. Yeah. Um, I, I'm sorry, I don't know if you're going to finish no, that thought. <laughs> I was just say, I, I grew to respect him more as a person, but I never spared him much of a thought because, you know, there's that sports dislike that, that bleeds in that, mm-hmm. you know, it's like with Tom Brady. Tom Brady's a generally likable dude, but everybody hates him because he's good and plays against their team. So yeah, it is how it is. And, and that was definitely my first memories of Kobe was, you know, growing up in Southern California, not liking the Lakers. Obviously, I wasn't a Kobe fan. And, you know, all your friends are Kobe fans. They like Shaq and all those guys and, you know, the the three-time uh, title runs and stuff like that. And so I always tried to distance myself from Kobe as much as possible. And especially once the Warriors started having, like, any kind of success, I could, you know, be a little bit more proud of that. And, <laughs> you know, uh, have Well, then you had a bunch of Laker fans rooting for the Warriors, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> a, a, a weird, a weird, it's <laughs> an inception-level basketball. Suddenly had a lot of lifelong Warriors fans. Right, <laughs> right. But, like, I do remember, um, I mean, growing up in Southern California and liking basketball, um, I would still watch Laker games, like, on occasion, because, um, like, you know, they're on, there was, you know, whatever broadcast ne- network it was at the time, um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but um, it was like Time Warner when I ended up moving. But anyways, like, so, you know, it was it was that comfort level of, you know, turning on the TV on a Friday night or whatever and listening to a basketball game. And it's always the Lakers. And I, I do remember a couple times uh, watching, like, Kobe go off on those games. Like, I watched the 81-point uh, game against the Raptors. I watched that game where he had, uh, was it 60-61 before uh, the fourth against the Mavericks. Um like I, I do remember watching Kobe in those games and it almost um, fueled my dislike for him even more because, you know, you, you didn't like him initially and then yeah. you watch him put on those kind of performances and you think like, like what, what this, what can't this guy do? And I yeah. think that's kind of, you know, the, the legacy that he has um, left in a lot of people's minds is just, you know, what, what can't this person do and what, what couldn't he be done on a basketball court? Um, and it's, it's kind of, it was funny when he, he started to, you know, like you say, get towards the end. And um, there were those Lakers teams where they were absolutely atrocious. And it was Kobe and a bunch of kids. He was basically, yeah. you know, running a daycare at some points. <laughs> um, and then you obviously had the Achilles injuries and um, the the shoulder and everything. And he wasn't the same Kobe, um, which is kind of, I think, when I started to appreciate him more. Because you could see... Like oh this you know this guy isn't obviously invincible he's yeah. he's going through some things and he had never really had injuries like that up until that point, um, which is funny because that's kind of how uh, LeBron is starting to yeah he's going that same way he's yeah. gonna have a sharp decline at some point and I think you know to a lot of the same a lot of the same degrees I kind of have a similar um, reference to LeBron's career. I, I liked him a lot more initially when I was when I was younger, um, a lot more than Kobe, for sure. Um, but you know, once once they start dominating, obviously I wasn't a fan of the Heat when LeBron went yeah. there, and you know, so there is that that level of excellence that makes you hate him. And I know, like as a Patriots fan, you can appreciate <laughs> yeah. you know my dislike for Tom Brady for the longest time. And then you know, at, at some point, it was like two or three years ago. I finally was just like, 
you know, I love watching quarterbacks play and dismantle other teams. So, like, I should appreciate this. And, like, I finally took the time to watch his games. And, like, then I became a fan of Tom Brady to some degree. Because you just, you can't hate greatness forever. You have to, if you're, you're truly a fan of whatever it is, whatever, you know, venue they're competing in, you have to appreciate it at some point. Because, like, they just are at a level that other people can't get to. Yeah, that, that's you're definitely right about it as far as greatness. Like, I think... The Warriors teams, everybody hated them. I think, you know, we look back on them 40 years from now when we're old. And, yeah. You know, it's like the people talk about it right now. They're talking about Showtime Lakers. Like, we'll be talking about the Warriors and the in the Heat teams. Like, yeah, those that was the greatness of the time. And that's the crazy thing, too. And, like, <laughs> even as, as great as those Warrior teams were as a collective and as great as KD is as, as you know, a basketball player and Steph as a basketball player, neither of them have ever been to that Kobe level of, yeah. of greatness. And it's it's funny to say that for a team that, you know, went to three or won three finals out of five. Like, it's it's just not something that you see often. And it's it's the complete dominance on the court, right? Like, you do see with LeBron on occasion, not as yeah. much anymore. But, I mean, he's still having a pretty good season this season, yeah. I guess you could say. <laughs> well, he had his run, and again, you're looking at a guy who's, what, how old is LeBron, 36 yeah, I think he's or like 35. 34 or something like that, but it's an old 34. Yeah. So it's like, it's understandable why he's maybe not the same guy as he was when he was 28 and playing for the Heat or the Cavs or whoever it was at that, mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah, but I just, as far as just Kobe, like, he was an entire generation's, you know, like the the epitome of elite basketball. Mm-hmm. So like for us, like when we were first introduced to the game of basketball, it was Kobe. Mm-hmm. And sure, other guys have taken over as we get all like when I think of elite basketball players, now I think much more of LeBron than I would of Kobe. But like your early ideas of basketball stars, at least for me, it was shaped by what Kobe is. Yeah. Like that's what a basketball star is. So yeah, I mean, for me, it was it was obviously Kobe. It was um, Allen Iverson at the time too. But Allen Iverson, while he was, um, you know, culturally a figure that was as big or bigger than Kobe was, um, he was never the same basketball player. Yeah. And I mean, like, it cracks me up to see the pictures of AI from whenever game that was uh, <laughs> that he wore a, a Kobe T-shirt to Kobe's game because I'd be like, you just, you know have to respect it at some level. But like, I mean, even AI knows that he's he's never been that kind of player. But yeah. um, yeah, definitely, definitely growing up, Kobe was the man. I'm I'm looking at the box score right now of the 81-point game because I was curious just to go back and see um, kind of what, you know, what went on because I really, it's all just my memories of seeing clips and stuff like that um, since the game happened. He was 28 of 46 from the field, 7 for 13 from 3, and shot 90% from free throw. Yeah, that was a good game. <laughs> like, I mean, obviously having a game like that, it was a good game is an understatement. <laughs> like, obviously having a game like that, um, you know, requires some luck and some, you know, just good fortune. But I, those are ridiculous numbers. Like, that's, like, if, I'm, I'm putting that into perspective of, like, if James Harden was to have a game like that, he'd probably be shooting, you know, like 50%, yeah. if that, like. Yeah, well, the thing is, like, you know, in terms of, oh, like, impact on the league that 81 point game is obviously it's never going to be Wilt Chamberlain's 100 no that's just a monument that will stand forever in history but but it was so close yeah you you look at 81 points like James Harden on his best night will put up 60 something like his best night jacking up 30 40 shots taking 20 30 free throws it feels like and he'll put up 60 something points I mean Devin Booker I think got to 70 didn't he yeah he did but again when are you ever going to come close to 81? And, like, I think that's what is so crazy about it is, 
you know, obviously Devin Booker's was um, fairly efficient as well, but it was definitely Devin Booker putting on a performance, right? It was definitely, you know, Devin Booker at some point in the game realizing, okay, I could probably get to 70 tonight. If I, if I remember correctly, and like, I, I could definitely be wrong about this because it's been I mean, 15 years almost since the game happened, yeah. but it seemed like he got 81 in the swing of the game. Like he wasn't trying to necessarily force anything. It was yeah. just Kobe got to eighty one. Like yeah. that's that's what it was. He, he started with Chris Mim and Kwame Brown were the two starting forwards, and Smushed Parker was a starting <laughs> point guard. Like that's crazy. Yeah, it's it's just one of those things because yeah, you, you look at the legacies of LeBron and all those, and it, it's not going to match up to Kobe's. No, it's not. and and you can say Kobe, LeBron's a better player, and I, I'd probably say that myself, but. There's a legacy you cannot take away when a guy wins five titles, you know, yeah. changes the basketball generation. Then obviously, his, one of his more notable accomplishments, you know, eighty one in a game, yeah. which it'll always be a second place, but it's a pretty safe second place. So yeah, and and I think just to wrap this up, not just what he did when he was playing. Um, I think it's worth mentioning what he's done since he retired. He's been, you know involved in basketball as much uh, as he was when he was still playing and done a lot of good things for not just the NBA, but, um, you know, youth teams, the WNBA. He's been, you know, basketball was his life, and he lived it as much as he could. And it's it's uh, it's interesting to see some people. I've read a couple pieces and bits of pieces of a couple people's articles of, you know, a lot of people when they they, gra- they graduate, they retire, um, they they tend not to, look at the next generation as, you know, uh, a positive. They tend to look at it as a negative, but I mean, that's just never how Kobe viewed it. He, yeah. he loved watching all the, the young basketball players and trying to hype them up as well, which is, I mean, that's it's cool. Yeah, he was a very good player and very important figure in the NBA and just, well, just basketball in general. Yeah. So there's a lot more that could be said. but Yeah, we'll leave it at that. That's a good place to end. <laughs> Do you want to just jump right into men's basketball? Yeah, sure. Cool. All right, let's talk in the basketball. All right. So, Utah State men's basketball. What do we say about them right now? Because they're kind of, uh, they're, as I think Tim titled one of the articles we wrote recently, a mixed bag. Yeah, that's, that's about as good as you're going to get at the moment. Just because, you know, I wrote my piece for the Statesman, shameless plug for my work at the Statesman, about Utah State's problems in basketball, and that was just after the boys, I think it got published after the Air Force game. Yeah, it was It was like right, um, I think you kind of wrapped it up as soon as, uh, was it the Air Force game or was it the Nevada game? Oh yeah, included yeah, the Air was, Force game, yeah, right. The, it was the Nevada game. Right. It was after, because it, it was before Air Force. Yeah. So, yeah, and theoretically there's going to be a part two about how to fix it, which is nice because I'm going to be able to draw off of some real life scenarios. Yeah, yeah. They, they've been fixing a few of the things. They've not been perfect, but they've obviously been a lot better. Mm-hmm. So uh, again, I don't know. I'm I'm not sure they've solved anything. It's just we're not seeing as much of the bad stuff. But again, their last few games have been against Nevada and um, Air Force who they should have, shouldn't have ever lost to the first time. Like, there's a reason it was a problem they lost to in the first time. And then Colorado State, I think, is a good team, but they're more of a, um, they're more of a fraud. They're, yeah, they're more of a, they have talent in certain areas, but they're not a good team collectively. 
And you're you're skipping over the Boise State game in the middle, though. I don't know if you're doing that intentionally or not, but uh, I, I mostly did it intentionally. <laughs> I'm just thrown off because I opened up Google and because I typed in Colorado State Rams, like I searched for their stuff. There's a suggested search, Larry Eustachy wife, and I'm like, why? <laughs> why would <laughs> anyone need that information? <laughs> it's like I, I just got real thrown off for a moment there. <laughs> so. <clears throat> Because I meant to go, I meant to go look up Utah State's whole thing so I can under like re 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 remember right. the whole big picture here. But obviously, the Boise State game kind of, I don't know. Yeah. Well, they're on a what two game win streak? Okay, so yeah, yeah, they're two game win streak. Yeah. So, you know. Uh, so there's. There's some of the good things that we've seen out of Nevada Air Force, the second Air Force game in Colorado State. But, yeah, the, the Boise State, the thing is against Boise State, <laughs> we saw a lot of the positives. But then for the last four minutes, and plus overtime, a lot of the negatives came back. Is like they were on the way to improving themselves and then decided not to for some reason. Yeah. So... And that's kind of why I say I don't know if they've solved anything because they've not been tested again, not since some of these games. So the fact that they are shooting a little better, um, which is, like, if you read that article, I had a lot of it, so much of it has to do with shooting because that is mm-hmm. the majority of the problem. There are other things, and I'm sure there's a lot of things that are leading to that shooting. Not really that we can identify any of them. You never really know why a player is shooting poorly. Right. The player doesn't know why they're shooting poorly. Right. So, I mean, it's the last two games they shot 32% from three against Air Force. They made nine three-pointers, which, I mean, for a, a long stretch, they weren't making much more than six or seven, sometimes fewer than five in some of these non- or in the, in the Division One games, for, right. if, if you're excluding making 12 against St. Catherine and... I don't know how many they made against Eastern Oregon. There's only nine, but they shot 39% against Eastern Oregon. So, like, there's there's some out, a lot of the outliers when you see in shooting. That's why I excluded them a lot in my calculations in that article. Because mm. um, you look at UNLV, they shot 10% from three. You know, they were 26% against San Diego State. Uh, Air Force, funnily enough, you lose them by 19. They were actually decent shooting wise from three. It was really weird. It's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, they wasted a good. Sh- I think I might have said it on, yeah. on Twitter. They wasted a really good shooting game. I think uh, it was actually Brock Miller too. Yeah, they wasted a good Brock Miller game. I remember that on Air Force. Uh, but then you know, ten point win against Nevada. They were sub thirty percent. Boise State. They were twenty one percent. Air Force second time mediocre thirty two percent. Then against Colorado State, better, better. Although most of that was Sam Merrill. Mm-hmm. I think he made five threes. Was it four? Hold on. I think it, I'm pretty sure it was five. Looking it up, looking it up, buffering. He do made do, five. Do, do. Utah State as a team made seven. So let's, I, I want to talk about that um, specifically. What do you think it was about Sam Merrill's performance that um, w- was different from previous games? Was it something that he did differently in approach, or do you think the game just kind of came to him better? I think the way Colorado State played him just allowed him more room to get shots because he took a lot more jumpers. He didn't really get into the paint a whole lot, mm-hmm. which is, I think, the main difference between him this season and last season because last season, like, so his sophomore season, um, 
he's a lot more of a jump shooter. Wasn't super involved as a scorer, like you know, making a lot of plays. He shot a lot of threes. Was an extremely efficient shooter, but generally deferred to Kobe McEwen and others. Then his junior season, you know, winning Player of the Year, he transitioned into a guy who attacked more. Because in the offseason, you had Craig Smith talking about how uh, he was um, unselfish to a fault almost. That's almost a direct quote from Craig Smith. And he wanted to see more aggressive shots, getting into the paint, maybe take a couple of mid-range two to, you know, bail out the, the offense, things like that. And we saw that from him, especially late in the season. Like early on in the yeah. season, you didn't see that a whole lot. But then late in the season, you see games like – um, Boise State when he had yeah. 30-something, and then he had you know that Colorado State game where, again, he had another 30-something. Yeah. And in a lot of those late-season games, even some of the ones they lost, I think the one they lost against San Diego State, he still had 30-some-odd points. So you were seeing him carrying the team through scoring, and he did it in a variety of ways. This season, he's back a lot to the, at least when he's actually able to score, it's coming in the more jump shot passive off-ball type stuff. And the thing is, and again, that's why I go back to, I don't know if they solved it, because that was still what Samuel did against Colorado State. Hmm. He took seven three-pointers out of, I think, half of his shots. Little, just So he took 15 shots, seven were three-pointers. But several of his other two-pointers were jump shots. He had, I think, th- at least two or three uh, long-range twos. Nice, really good step-back long-range twos or pull-ups. I can't remember all of them, but he wasn't being super aggressive getting into the paint. That's where he struggled. So we saw a really good jump shooting game out of Sam Merrill, but he needs to add more if they're going to continue to succeed because he's not going to have a good jump jump shooting night, um, night every night. Right. Well, and so if, if, we, if we look down the rest of the schedule um, and look at the opponents they're going to face – um, it doesn't necessarily look like, with obviously the exception of San Diego State this weekend, um, that he's going to be facing too much uh, of that that um, strong opposition underneath that he you know faced earlier in the season. So, I mean, obviously there's the possibility of him being able to score in those ways a little bit more, but with the efficiency they did it from the outside against Colorado State, why do that? I guess it would be the question. Yeah. It's just it's just something that he needs to have in his back pocket. Mm-hmm. Because there were nights last year where he wasn't getting it going from three. But he was able to get in, get free throws, get points. I think the Nevada game was that way. I think he had a decent scoring game against Nevada. Hmm. But I think it came more from free throws. Now i got to look that. i got to look up Sam Merrill's game logs from last year just to, <laughs> just to justify my point here. But again, he, he was much more aggressive last year. And one thing he mentioned after the game that I thought was interesting is that he's wearing a He's wearing different ankle braces right now mm. because um, supposedly the other ones were really restricting his mobility, which is kind of partly the point of an ankle brace, obviously. But, like, it was doing it too much. Yeah. Then, you know, kind of the law of diminishing returns at that point. Right. Because he's been wearing those because he's had ankle problems for the last probably calendar years, ever since probably late last year. So, and... To be honest, when watching him, it kind of it made sense when he said that because I thought he looked a lot smoother and quicker against Colorado State than he did in previous games. So I, I think that Sam Merrill is going to continue to get better, at least not be kind of in the slump that he was. 
because uh, he was having a real hard time shooting. Like three point shooting has never really been too much of an issue. He's had his off games and whatnot, but generally he's been good three point shooting. I think his percentages might be slightly better this season than last. But you know, if if he's able to regain some of that mobility, because he's he's never really been one to be able to afford losing right. mobility. He's not the most dynamic player. But... Yeah. And so having that maybe was affecting his ability to finish and whatnot. Because there's a lot that goes into finishing as far as footwork. Mm-hmm. Um, but aside from Merrill getting better, the, the important thing is that everybody else does. Yeah. Because they weren't really that great against Colorado State for the for the most part. You had your – like Kata, he had 10 points. He only took five shots. Granted, a lot of that was just him not – Getting the opportunity. Granted, after the game, Coach Smith just straight up said we need him to get in the ball more. Yeah. Granted, he's probably said that after like four or five different games. He seems to get to the end of the game and realize he forgot to use his second best player. On I the remember team. him saying that a lot last year too, where it'd be you know a game where he'd be you know let's say seven for eight, he'd have twelve points and be super efficient, and then after the game, Craig Smith would be like. Yeah, we should probably start out getting K to the ball next game. Yeah. Like you've been saying this for like three weeks, yeah, coach. You know, it feels like Kata could sometimes be a twenty and ten guy if he was able to take ten or eleven yeah. shots, but uh, he doesn't always do that. But again, it felt like more in the flow of the game because Kata ended up having five assists, and he also had like six turnovers. So it's not like he wasn't getting opportunities. Just some of them, he found a better shot, which is an excellent quality of him. And then the others, oftentimes, he just screwed it up. God, I know at least three of three of his turnovers I remember specifically. Two of them were like um like toward the outside they weren't in the paint. They were like above the break or beyond the three point line. And he tried to do a pass and he just threw it out of bounds. Yeah. Like he just missed his guy. And the other one he airmailed into the bench. So uh he thought Abel Porter was Yao Ming apparently. <laughs> so I can't I don't know if it's Abel Porter he was thrown to but somebody uh, so a little bit of that was on Kata. Some of that was the flow of the game. Some of that maybe could go on Craig Smith. But you know, Kata and Bean were super efficient. And like, heck, the whole front court seemed pretty efficient. It's just the guards who need to step yeah. up and score a little bit like more. Like Abel Porter, he got in foul trouble again early, and it took him out of the first half. I think he played still twenty eight minutes, which is about what you his minute load. He was 0 for 2. They were both from 3. They were wide open looks. Brock Miller was 1 for 6. You know, he did his thing. Diego Brito, actually, he's been struggling a ton. Like, Wait, did you just say Brock Miller was 1 for 6? From 3, sorry. From 3. I was like, <laughs> he was 2 for 8 overall. <laughs> so casually saying Brock Miller when it was 1 for 6, he did his thing. It's like, was you taking a subtle jab at him? <laughs> is that what that was? It kind of is. Fans are starting to turn on Brock Miller. It's unfortunate. Yeah, it is unfortunate. And not without reason, but you always hate to see a lot of negative yeah. go towards a guy, especially because I've met Brock Miller and he seems like a pretty chill dude. He's a great guy. So, but, uh, so Diego Brito, three of five overall, one for one from three. If I'm going, <laughs> I can just say he's one from one since that's apparently my new standard. Yeah. <laughs> Since before I just yeah. set it off all of Utah State's three-point shooting goals. Everything in the paint wrong. doesn't matter. It's no. all outside. It's all about threes. Right. You're just like the new, uh, you're an intern for the Golden State Warriors or something like that. Or, Bring it back to that the, 15. Or the Rockets. Or the Rockets, honest. exactly. The Rockets. So, uh, there's, so obviously overall they shot pretty well. Of course, a lot of that had to do with the last bit of the game where they made, the second half they made a, 
68% of their shots. Mm-hmm. They were this close. This close. <laughs> that would have been nice. It would have been, been nice. would have been real nice. They actually set a season high for a field goal percentage. Mm. Uh, 59.2, higher than Eastern Oregon, where they scored their second most points ever uh, as a as a school. So overall, like if you look up and down, they were doing pretty good. But in some of the key contributors, Abel Porter, Brock Miller, you know, generally inefficient. Diego Brito was just uninvolved in the offense. Because, um, I mean, this is a guy who was averaging 12 or 13 points early in the season. Now he's averaging like three. And outside of this game, like the the shooting statistics lately of Diego Brito and Alfonso Anderson need a parental advisory <laughs> for how bad they've been. It's actually really nice to see Anderson go four of six and Brito go three of five and be good contributors. Right. Like you're saying, especially the that amount of contribution they were giving at the beginning of the season to have that taken away, and now you're trying to replace that with something else, and that's not coming from anywhere else on the course. So it leaves you in a little bit of a mess. Yeah. But it, if I remember some of these other games, even against uh, Nevada and Boise State and others, there were still, you'd see some of these holes in shooting. Like Diego Brito is still shooting awful from three. I mean, he made the one against Colorado State, but again, it was just the one. Abel Porter was a 45% three-point shooter last year. He's in the 20s, I think, right now. So there's still some things that I that you need to see out of this team consistently and against good teams before you can say, well, they're kind of back to the form they were in early this season. I I would probably say it's going to be tough to get back to the form they were at the beginning of the season. Um, but, I mean, you know... A, there, there is always those teams that get better as the year progresses, but I think it is hard to go from a, a level drop down to as low as they were and get back up to that same level. Now I know they're going to be getting some, some players back and more, more healthy and more confident. Obviously, with the case of like Namish Keda, um, but like the, I think the idea of them being a Mountain West favorite should be completely gone, right? Yeah, it is. I think it's been gone for about two weeks now. <laughs> so. So now you look at the schedule and you have Wyoming. Obviously, that should be a game that they come away with a victory. If they don't, I'm just throwing something. It's like Air Force, Air Force Part 2. Um, probably worse. even worse. Yeah, they're 0-9 right I think now. Air Force almost had as many wins when they beat Utah State yeah. two weeks ago than Wyoming has now. Um, And then so you have San Diego State after that. Obviously, that's going to be a game where... It's just tough to predict anything because of how yeah. good San Diego State is. If you get a win, it doesn't matter how it happens, you'll exactly. be happy. Exactly. Yeah, you, there's no dissection needed for that one. It's yeah. A win will be a, a success. Um, but then you have uh, UNLV and Boise, and Boise State both at home, um, Colorado State, Fresno State, and you finish, finish out the season. Um, sorry, as my cursor just melts in my hand. Um, <laughs> we finished all the season with Wyoming, San Jose State, and New Mexico. So, uh, apart from that game against San Diego State, every other game they're going to be playing, eight of nine, will be games that they should be, per- or should be competing in, and probably have a good chance to get a win. Yeah. So Wyoming, UNLV, and Boise State all have to be wins, because Wyoming, despite the fact that it's on the road, are a terrible team this season. UNLV and Boise State, they are on paper inferior teams, and you're playing them at home. 
and teams for some reason just melt in terms of shooting mm-hmm. when they come to the spectrum. Like Colorado State was a red hot shooting team, and they were terrible for yeah. all but like five minutes of the game. And although Boise State did win in overtime the other night, it shouldn't be forgotten that Utah State had an 18-point lead. They did surrender that lead, but they did, like you said earlier, they did did, did things well initially before the meltdown happened. Yeah, and it took like 15 consecutive made shots from Boise State. Yes. And they're not going to do that in the spectrum. Right. Um, At Colorado State, might be a little harder because, again, you're facing a team that was red hot. Now they've lost. They were on like a five-game winning streak coming into the spectrum. But that's on the road. I mean, last year they were probably a worse team. Yeah, and took them to overtime to get a win. Yeah, so you never take for granted. And this was when the Aggies were at the height of their win mm-hmm. streak and yeah. and all that. Um, then at Fresno State, always tough. Um, God, I forget how good Fresno State is. Yeah, was I mean, that's year. one that— like, this, this is the team that took Utah State to overtime in the spectrum. Yeah, so. I mean, they're 2-7 they're and seven in the Mountain West this year, so they're not like— at the at the level of past Fresno State games um, or teams, I should say, but you're right; it shouldn't be overlooked because they still have those pieces. They took them to overtime earlier in the season, so that might be one of the games out of the remaining nine that can't necessarily be chalked up to a complete win. Yeah, well, you can't. The only ones I'm willing to just say are wins are the two Wyoming games. Every and like San and San Jose, Jose State. State. <laughs> well, San Jose State, man, they they're. Better, they're not great. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not great. They're just better. Yeah. So so those three are the only ones that I can say, yeah, they'll win. And I'm like upper 80s, 90s percent confident they'll win at UNLV and Boise State, but you never. that's, that's how I felt when they first went and yeah. played them. So there's that. So, you know, at this point you can't take anything for granted because, and maybe that's what they've been missing, this team. You know, they've talked this whole season. Everybody has repeated the same lines that everybody and their dog and their ancestors have ever repeated in the history of sports when they talk about expectations. It's, oh, we don't listen to the outside noise and all that. But look, they're human. I'd be willing to bet dollars to donuts that some of that outside uh, outside noise got to them a little bit. Probably. Um, or at the very least, they, they weren't... There's always the difference between being that underdog and knowing you're the underdog and trying to pretend you're an underdog. And, and you know, there's countless examples of players and coaches talking about how, you know, either it be in a one-game scenario where you're down by a lot, it's easier to make a run because you don't have as many expectations, or, you know, late in the season, you're, you know, you're a lot behind, and so it's easier to make those runs. It is easier, you know, inherently to make runs, to be a better team to relax and play well when you're not thinking about all the outside pressures. Yeah. So, I mean, that it's, and it's fair to say that, uh, you know, that, that could have contributed it, but it's also fair to say that, um, you know, it's, it kind of comes with the territory. Not every team is going to be San Diego state and go 21 and oh, like it's there, there are games that are just, especially in college basketball that you're going to lose. And it, you know, Especially when you shoot the way that they have over the last yeah. 10 or 15 games. It's a miracle that they lasted as long considering how bad they were shooting for most of the season after their first six games. Right. So if you look at the you know the grand scheme of things, we've kind of touched on where they kind of fall in the Mountain West and where they could potentially go. I think a lot of people would still agree that you know, behind San Diego State, they're still probably the best, second best team um, in the conference, especially when you stack up, you know, seven, eight wins uh, throughout the remainder of the season. Um, but where does that put them in the national landscape? Where does that put them in, you know, the the tournament conversation, the RPI conversations, all that kind of stuff? It'll put them on the bubble. 
probably one of the last four out. Um, I have a hard time seeing them getting an at-large bid just because of the losses and because of the reputation of the Mountain West at the moment. It's not really considered a two-bid school. Is there any scenario where, I mean, obviously it makes a much better case if they can get a win against San Diego State to be one of those If they beat San Diego State, they'll probably get an at-large bid. But what's the... Assuming they play well the rest of the season and would probably have to win... Well, they have to really well them. If they win the Mountain West tournament, that doesn't matter. They're in anyways. Yeah, but because that's the problem, more losses just it hurts the resume. And I don't know, because losses hurt so much more than wins help. Because yeah. people talk about they beat LSU before, but like, look, nobody's going to care about those. I, it, they'll, it, they'll talk about them. They'll talk about the, But they're going to talk about losing to Boise State and losing to Air Force, losing to UNLV. Right. That hurts them more than beating LSU in Florida in the beginning of the season where I think people don't take into account as much those results just because of how early in the season they happen. What does help for a lot of teams in college basketball compared to, let's say, college football is that um, – the selection committee does take into account kind of a blind resume approach a lot more. And so, you know, having those wins on the schedule and, you know, those teams that they beat also having some more success throughout the season does help. But I would agree that, you know, that's not going to help as much as, you know, the blemishes on their record. But obviously the San Diego State win would help. But I want to approach this in, in a different way of, let's say they still lose to San Diego State. Is there a scenario where they win, let's say, those eight out of the last nine and possibly get to the tournament final in the Mountain West, don't win it, but lose to a San Diego State team again, third time, but, you know, obviously a team that's probably going to be a, a one or two seed in the tournament. Do you think that's still enough for them to get in, or do you think it's, it's win the tournament or win, beat San Diego State or nothing else? It's possible, because, yeah, if they win every other game except a theoretical two games against San Diego State in the regular season tournament final... You're looking at possibly 26 and 8, somewhere around there? Like, that's definitely good enough, but we see 25 win teams don't make the tournament. And it's largely. I think they probably would. My gut says they probably would. Because right now, I think I've seen some reason brackets that have Utah State in. Mm hmm. There's not nothing. And the fact that this is generally the same team from last year might influence it a little bit as well. At least it's a very similar team. I mean, they did start out in 15th in the country. Yeah. Like, that counts for something. Just is also one of two teams in history to be ranked and not make the tournament. Yes. So there's that. But they're also <laughs> in the WAC at the time. So yes. there's the Mountain West does have more of a, like, WAC is a never going to be a two-bit right. school. Right. And Mountain West can be a two, but yeah. I keep saying school, and I mean to say conference. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's the second time I've done that. <laughs> this, this podcast. Um, so, I see a scenario where Utah State gets an at-large bid. I don't think that's a very likely scenario, just because it would require them to beat San Diego State and or pretty much win every game the rest of the way, which. You know, they did it last season, but we talk about last season and how great it was because of how great it was. You don't do that. So, I mean, I think Utah State's going to lose two or three games the rest of the way mm -hmm. as far as regular season and conference tournament. They'll probably lose San Diego State. They'll probably drop one of these other games, maybe two of them. They might get upset in the conference tournament. They were nearly upset last year. And this year, I, I don't know. I see they're a mixed bag as far as, like, when I was writing my problems article, I was saying, like, they're not very good in the clutch. And then I went back over the schedule and I was like, well, they kind of were. Yeah. And still kind of are. Yeah. 
So it's it's a bit of a toss up sometimes. It really is. It's just consistency. That's all. They, yeah. they can perform to you know the level of a top twenty five team on some nights, and you know whatever you want. Yeah, that, and that's say the thing. The... They can pull out ugly wins in terms of games that are down close and ugly. They've won more than they've lost. This is a lot of the losses are a little more recent, um, especially you know Boise State and San Diego yeah. State and yada yada yada. So. The the best bet is find a way to hope San Diego State uh, either doesn't make the tournament final or beat them. So as far as tournament aspirations, that's where, you know, fans should probably put their hopes on because I don't know if Utah State's going to get in that large. Just the way I think the season will play out. Right. And I'm sure that, you know, obviously they prefer not to be on the bubble the last week of the season. They prefer to get a win at San Diego State and kind of put things in their own hands a little bit more. Yeah. All right. I think uh, that's probably all I have on, on uh, Utah State, unless you want to touch on some other things. Uh, there's there's not a whole, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be writing a lot about the, the things that Utah State's done right as far mm-hmm. as things they may have changed. Some of that does involve Cato. A lot of it is Sam Merrill getting better. But a lot of it's just shooting. Sometimes you got to shoot better. And then the thing they had against Colorado State for, especially in the first half, and obviously some of the second half was just playing more connected, being more aggressive as far as player movement and generating open shots. And it's weird to say for a team that's mostly intact from last season, but, you know, having so many injuries and stuff like that, people out of the lineup, it, they definitely have developed more chemistry on the court over the last, you know, five or six games or whatever it's been. Yeah. They they looked a lot better. Sam Merrill looked healthier. Not a, not everybody's playing perfect. I still want to know where Brock Miller is. <laughs> where if he's ever going to show up and decide to be a shooter in college. Tune in to find out. Because <laughs> if... I said this about 16 times. If the dude became a 40% three-point shooter at the rate he fires these things, mm-hmm. he'd be one. He'd be right up there in terms of value with Maryland Cada. And I'm trying not to exaggerate there. He, There's that much value in that kind of player. Yeah, 100%. And especially with the way that Craig Smith likes to run his team. It's, you know, obviously, they focus on rebounds, getting out in transition, having somebody that can shoot those threes. They, they run a play to Brock Miller the first play of every game. Yeah. It's true. And he usually it's makes, true. I swear he's shooting 90% on those. In, in this last game, he actually missed his first attempt. I, I but, think I, but like the last four or six games, he made his first three-point attempt, and it was the first dadgum play of the game. I think I solved the the problem with not getting K to the ball uh, early on in the games because they have to run that play to Rock Miller <laughs> to get him any kind of consistency. Well, they, the last few games, they've been running it to K in the post, and he kicks it out to Miller <laughs> in, in the corner. Some of that's just because it's a double team. I don't know if it's a completely designed play. But it was a play they had last season where they just give it to Cade in the post, wait for, and he kind of reacts to what the defense does. If they don't double team him, he just gets his guy in the post. Yeah. Sometimes. His post game's it. Well, last year his post game was iffy. This year it's actually a lot better. Mm-hmm. He's been a lot more efficient because he's not taking these hook shots where he's wall balling it off, yeah. bricking it off the <laughs> rim. Where he'd either brick it off the rim or he'd have the most beautiful touch you ever saw, mm-hmm. this side of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So... I praise. I praise. All right. Well, that's probably all we have for this week. Um, tune in again next week. Uh, we'll have oh something to talk about, I'm sure. Oh, those, there's plenty to talk about in Utah State sports. There's Jordan Love and the Senior Bowl. There's, yeah. And we'll have more to talk about with Utah State basketball. 
So it's kind of in a little bit of a lull period where football just ended. Utah State's basketball, like you know, it's getting close to the conference tournament, but there's you know, you're kind of in the the back end of the of the schedule. And obviously, there's other athletic stuff that we can cover as well, and we'll be we'll be doing that more in the future too. So gymnastics starting up, softball right. starting up soon. That's right. Yeah, so, softball starts up in ten days. The weird thing is though, softball starts up and then kind of disappears because they're on the road for like literally the yeah. first month and a half because you can't play softball yeah. in Logan. <laughs> not not in February. Yeah. So they always have like the inaugural, you know, the first season game. They have it usually somewhere in California, and then oh, okay, cool, we're playing softball again, and then you don't hear anything for a, in a month and a half, and oh, we're back, we're back to Logan. Yeah, over here is like we do this thing at one time, try to do a season preview, and they'd already played like because it was gonna be their first home game in March or whenever it was, yeah. and they played like thirteen games already. Yeah, exactly. They ended up being banned that year. Well, maybe that's our job then. Maybe that's our job to put some more publicity, get get them more in the eyes of the yeah. of the students and the town folk of Logan. Um, hopefully, though, because the softball team, they weren't great last season, but they had a lot of good things going for them. And since, I mean, honestly... Well, three years ago, they had one of their best teams ever. Right, right, yeah. And then it just kind of went downhill from there. Yeah, and, and like, with the way the, the volleyball teams panned out this season, the, the women's basketball team, the soccer team ended on a high note but had some struggles. Um, it's, it's time for some good Yeah, we good need some good women's, the women's sports. sports. <laughs> Gymnastics is, was doing well the last couple of years. They've actually already had a meet. Yes, they already they've had two, um, I believe, actually. Okay, so, um, and they've been kind of on the up and up as a program. And I think yeah. last year was... Not as good as two years ago. Mm-hmm. I think they were went a little down, but again, they've they've got a lot of good promise. I think. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna produce this on the fly right now. We're gonna do a, a women's sports segment here sometime in the next week, so that'll be out for you guys to listen to. We'll round up all the women's sports and tell you guys what's going on because it's it's, it's something's got to be going well. <laughs> yeah, something has to because we yeah, we had a really crummy fall and winter yes. for women's sports. Sure did, but. Will hopefully be improving. <laughs> I was gonna say things will get better, but I actually don't know that unequivocally. Things will get better so. for all the the women's sports next year, I believe, especially soccer. There's gonna be a lot of changeover, which is gonna be really interesting. There's gonna be, I mean, obviously, um, you know, soccer has a lot of uh, not a ugh, new recruits coming in. Yeah, um, theoretically, they won't be injured as frick. Right. Exactly. Yeah, you won't have like three of your your top players coming off of serious injuries. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. We're we're scrambling now. Yeah. Thanks guys for listening. Enjoy. Talk to you again very soon. Bye. Bye. Have a good time. No, that was that was not necessary at all. I don't know what that was. Okay, bye.